We're back. We're back. It's a distraction. I'm Drew. That's Roth. How you doing, Roth? I'm good, man. How are you? Happy Thanksgiving, man. Are you... Happy Thanksgiving to you. Thank you for coming to my home on Thanksgiving. I'm so excited for you to meet my aunts. I know. Yes. I'm in your house. I'm eating all your cranberry sauce. Wow. Disgusting. Right out of the, the can with his fingers. Horrible. Let's do the requisite uh, Thanksgiving takes, like, just for, like, for like five minutes, just for old times. Sure. Are you an anti-turkey person, Roth? No. I think that's silly. All right. So you're not like the person on Twitter who's like, actually, turkey is bad, and we have lobster, and we're so fancy. <laughs> I mean, there's better things you could eat, but this is the day where you eat turkey. It's fine. I eat the worst option of the things you could eat, like, four days out of the week. Like, there's a lot of times where there's, yeah, I could, I live in New York City, I could theoretically eat anything I want. And there's a lot of days where I'm just like eating little pepperonis out of a, a bag of little pepperonis. You know what I mean? Oh, I, yeah, but I like that. That's fucking great. You shitting me? I do too. I, this is a version of it that honors uh, a heritage bird, you know, mm-hmm. a, a legacy American protein. That's it. Yes, I think that the issue with turkey to me is that like this. The ceiling is decently low, you know. My dad still makes it. He's uh, very proud of it and puts a lot of time into it and gets real sweaty and stressed. And it just kind of tops out at a B plus because that's what turkeys like. But I, I like it. Getting B pluses is again that's a that's David Roth culture to me. You know what it is? You're a turkey person, yeah. I love turkey, but I don't want it. So sometimes people have turkey at Christmas too. I think that's stupid. I don't think you should do too that. much. Like have a ham. Have roast beef. I don't know. And then my daughter, before Thanksgiving, she had two friends givings the weekend before. And I'm like, you know what? That's gonna be too much goddamn turkey for you. Like, that's your problem, girl. But like, I would not, I would not subject myself to that much turkey. I don't like turkey haters, but I I want my turkey in moderation. Not on Thanksgiving yeah, Day, th- but just in check. Yeah. I'm not going to like, ask. Can we ask our guest about about Turkey? Are we allowed to do that? Oh, yeah, guest. That's right. That? Yeah, he's right there, Drew. It's Defector COO and resident Jess fan, Jasper Wang. How are you doing, Jasper? I'm so good. Uh, that is such a devastating introduction because it's one thing I'm very happy about and one thing I am very much, you know, <laughs> don't show the people how I live like this. Yeah. This is for you. Thanksgiving is always going to be colored by the memory of the butt fumble, which is, I mean, it's also true for me, but it's like you actually felt something when that happened beyond me being like, oh no, that man's ass. I mean, at that (laughs) point, Sanchez was heading out. So I I think probably my feelings were similar to yours. Yeah. Like the butt fumble was not like, it wasn't a surprise. It wasn't like, it didn't come out of the ether. Disagree. Well, it was like, not to get too Glenn Greenwaldy in my expression of it, it was startling but not surprising like it was definitely a thing that would have happened to the jets but it was still i haven't seen a a man's head hit a man's ass at that speed um really ever before in a sports context or any other that i can think of no you're not as deep in the pornhole as i am then right there's there is also the time that jonathan fiar slid into brandon phillips's ass yeah that was baseball it's different. oh that's i i do like a good baseball ass encounter jasper <laughs> jasper jump in with your ass t- <laughs> you and sean coon just issued defectors annual report and we're going to talk about that in a few but first i actually do want to talk about the jets uh do you like head coach robert sala jasper do you think he's a good coach victimized by bad luck or a shitty coach revealing himself under adversity 
a good man? Is he a kind man? I'm sure he's a good man. Again, I love that we're starting on the butt end of uh, my various titles here. (laughs) Um, That's right. We're working our way up. It's linear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You'll get more impressive as the show goes on. It's good. Uh, So I I think Robert Sala is a good coach. He's just caught in the morass of the Jets' jetsiness. You know, I, I think he's probably one of these guys who's a better coordinator than a head coach, but I hope he gets another shot at being a head coach. Um, the the one thing about Robert Sala that has always made me question his judgment is that in his first year as Jets head coach, he lived in a two-bedroom apartment with his wife and seven kids. Yeah. Whoa. For the entire season. And it's That's just like, right. okay, you just, you weren't sleeping well, my dude. That is why you went four and 13 <laughs> that year. And it makes me, it colors my judge, like everything else in his life is colored by that. Like, look. Like, not the flex, but I don't have any kids. I have one wife. We live in a three-bedroom apartment. Like, they are existing That's in right. the New York area. I don't make NFL head coach money. Like, you can just do that, Robert. Right. Is that like when, like, when the way that Christian Bale sometimes randomly loses 110 pounds for a part, and they're like, you didn't need to do that. Like, you could have just, what if you just tried to think like a guy who was having a bad time instead of, uh, like, giving <laughs> giving yourself a, like, some sort of intestinal disorder like is it was he trying to get like in the jets mindset where he was like i want to know what it feels like to be a fan here and therefore i'm gonna live in a house yes it's a a real scarcity mindset is how you become a method approach you need to do that (laughs) like baby formula sharpens baby formula or something like that maybe so true maybe it's it was the perfect excuse for him to sleep at the office. If your office, because you always hear about head coaches like Joe Gibbs who like slept in a cot next to a fucking file cabinet and stuff. But if you have a situation where that setup is actually more comfortable than your current living quarters, then maybe that is advantageous to a head coach who wants to coach a lot and maybe doesn't want to be around 7,000 kids, Philip River style, who are throwing shit at him and pulling his hair out sleeping like merchant marines in an 18th century vessel yeah like just <laughs> vertically stacked i mean he had two sets of kids doing the grandparents from uh willy walk on the chocolate factory effectively in that other bedroom i assume <laughs> really that's how nuts. it went <laughs> little robert bucket head coach of the jets uh the other thing about sala is and we're we're recording this a week in advance, but let's let's just assume that he is still sticking by Zach Wilson as his starter, despite everything we know and everything we've seen about Zach Wilson. Jasper, you expressed your feelings uh, to us about uh, Zach Wilson uh, a few days ago in the company Slack. Could you reiterate those feelings for us here on the air right now? Uh, I think Zach Wilson has played fine the last couple of weeks, um, but I do hate him. Okay, But I think I hate him less than Robert Sala hates him. <laughs> Every single one of those press conferences where he, you know, you can just do the coach thing and just come out and say, yes, we're like 100% behind him. He's always throwing in like, what else can we do? Like, he, he's always yep. doing the very like, you know, defeated version of that. There was one, there was one where he was like, oh, well, that was far from Zach's worst game. I assure you, where it's like, oh, don't worry. Don't worry. He's much shittier than what you just <laughs> yeah. saw. <laughs> I love the idea that he's like got some inner Mike Francesa thing where he's like, I, you know, I saw him in practice. He's Christian Hackenberg. Okay. Like he could be getting like significantly more nasty, but he, this is like, whatever, being on your best behavior immediately after Zach Wilson throws a backbreaking pick and loses your team a football game is hard. 
Like that is not an easy executive move for anybody. Like you could have been a head coach before and still probably difficult to do it. I think we're also past the point where because of Zach's status as a number two overall pick that he gets more of a grace period and, you know, is also something of a contractual millstone because those, those contracts are, are, they're not, it's a rookie. It's a, you know, it's the fabled quarterback on a rookie contract, right? But it's still not, it's not a cheap contract with number two overall pick. Like you can't cut him. Like you incur like a big cap hit if you cut him, you know, after one year or after two or things like that. But he has played so demonstrably horribly that Salah doesn't have to pretend, particularly when he has Aaron Rodgers coming in to supplant him. He doesn't really have to hide his emotions as much as he did. But Jasper, speaking of Aaron Rodgers, you might get an early Christmas present because Rodgers uh, has boasted, and I think boasted is the right word there, that he'll be back in a matter of weeks after tearing his Achilles in week one. Do you believe Rodgers when he says that, Jasper? Does it matter? Aaron Rodgers is uh, 39 years old, I think. So unless he has learned something about the effects of rubbing ayahuasca like directly onto your legs. <laughs> right. Um, Can't count it out. We're not seeing him. Come on. I mean, look, the man just, he thrives on attention. He wants us to be talking about him. He wants to keep going on the Pat McAfee show and, you know, d- d- doing his thing. So that, that's all that is. He's going to get to go on the Pat. If there was a way for him to get kicked off the Pat McAfee show, it would have happened by now. Like he goes on there. He's lying flat on his back in a bed and he just talks about Robert Kennedy Jr. the entire time. Like if there, there's nothing that he could do. Yeah. Like his big toe is always sticking up in the middle of the screen and stuff like that. Yeah. Ugh. I did like seeing him on the sidelines in the last game. Well, it'd be second to last game by the time this gets released, making like gym faces at a camera that was located at the top of the stadium. Like he knows his angles. He's definitely already sort of working this storyline. I just don't know that. Like, there's no amount of not getting vaccinated that makes your Achilles heal or your Achilles tendon heal twice as fast as it should. I I was sort of buying into it because I was I'm such a fucking pud. Like he was he was running around on the field and he was throwing the ball. Like he was like he was doing warm up shit on the field. He was in civilian clothes, but he's doing warm up shit. And all like the Ian Rappaports were like, look at Aaron Rodgers, eyeball emoji, look at him. And I'm like, <laughs> okay, all right. If I tore my Achilles, first of all, if I tore my Achilles, I don't think I'd walk for five years, something like that. Yeah, I would I would certainly die but right away. I would not be sauntering around uh, the same turf that destroyed my foot. Uh, I will more. say, uh, in the NWSL championship game this past Saturday, Megan Rapinoe uh, tore her Achilles in like the fifth minute. And then by halftime, she was like standing on the sidelines and like, People were giving her piggyback rides, and and I sort of had the I was like, oh, it must just be like you know, obviously she can't play, like she has a high ankle sprain or whatever. They took her out, but like I, I don't imagine she exploded her Achilles, and she actually did explode her Achilles. Yeah. But the doctor was like, okay, well, you know, your career is over, so like you might as well just hang out on the sideline anyway. Which sort of gave me a different perspective of like, yeah. I assume you just have to lie down the whole time, but no, you can like still stand there. Tis but a scratch. This is. That's been the challenge with, I remember, I don't remember what the actual injury was, but the game where Jay Cutler is basically his last game as a bear. He was very badly injured, but then he was just on the sideline making the Jay Cutler PP face for the entire rest of the game because like he couldn't play football, but he could stand up. And so the camera kept finding him and people were like, why isn't he in there? Like, what is he just smoking a cigarette? Is that allowed? Like, which I think is totally 
I mean, whatever. It's we don't understand what these injuries are like. We don't understand what you need from your body to do this sort of stuff. But yeah, I, I'm, that makes me less inclined to sort of guess at uh, any secret healing powers that Aaron Rodgers might have. Okay. We'll talk about more football in just a moment, but it's time to let Jasper off the hook and time to get to the Defector annual report. Jasper, um, <laughs> as uh, as fellow co-owners of Defector Media, how are we doing? Are we still employed right now? Uh, you are at the oh! moment still employed. Yeah, what about me? Am I still employed? Roth, you're hanging by a little bit thinner of a thread, but yes, Thanks. you're still right. employed. <laughs> we have gotten the HR complaints about him. We have. Yeah. Things he does with turtles, say, very gross. They say he's too charming. You know, he's not allowed <laughs> to be that charming. Um, we're, we're doing great. I mean, normal gossip is a behemoth now, and so that gives us more breathing room. Uh, but, you know, the core of the business is the subscription revenue. It was a hard-fought battle this year to grow subscription revenue by single digits. Uh, but, you know, we did it. It was a tough media environment, but, you know, I feel good and proud of where we went the last year. Um, you know, it doesn't compare to the early days of Defector when we had no idea what we were doing, but also the big round numbers kept coming of like, ah, yeah, we have 10,000 subscribers in 24 hours. And yeah, then like 20,000 a month later and then 30,000 two months later. And now it's just like, well, look, now we like, we understand the business much better. We understand what we can do to drive business. But, um, you know, it's just like every additional subscriber is harder to get than the previous one. Um, so, you know, it, we're like maturing as a business, but that also means that the wins come, uh, with a little bit more effort. Why, why is that? Why can't we have 200,000 subscribers or even a million? Because that is what I want. I know I was trying to find if I had any texts from you or DMs from you of just like, I want 50,000 subscribers by Christmas or, you know, whatever, like in that early couple of months of, I have of the absolutely, company. I've absolutely DM that, but not as a demand oh, yeah. more. I, that's what I'd like. Yeah. I mean, look, I think for us, it is, there is some, uh, some core audience that we found relatively quickly. They heard about Defector, you know, they remembered the story of you all quitting Deadspin and they were on board immediately. And now we're more just like every other publication, right? Like you do the hard work of convincing people um, that you write good work and, you know, slowly but surely they, we wear them down and we put offers in front of them and, you know, they eventually give us their money. But it's not the, the early cohort of people who are just like, you know, waiting to give us money. Um, and, you know, that was also... 2020 into 2021. It was a different, you know, everyone was, it was a pandemic year. It was a, a election year. People were just, you know, ready to spend money on news in their homes and we're just in a different environment. But again, I think we're better equipped. Um, you know, Sean Kuhn, who is the head of subscription strategy, came over from The Athletic slash New York Times. And, you know, he's a data scientist by training. And so uh, it fills in a lot of gaps that, you know, I have uh, as a business leader. And so, um, you know, I, I think I feel really good about where we're headed. There's a line item for $28 spent by Patrick Redford at Taco Bell in year three. Jasper, were you able to isolate that revenue, the revenue that his post about eating at Taco Bell generated for us based off of spending that $28? Or did he waste our money? Yeah, how many crunch wraps did that post? Yeah, by the way, how much fucking food can 28 bucks at Taco Bell eat? You you can buy you can buy a fucking franchise for 28 bucks. Drew, you simply have to read the blog. That part is spelled out. <laughs> the the background on adding that to the annual report was that right after that published last October, 
uh, Chris Thompson DM'd me and said, hey, could we, it would be a good gag if we just broke out $28 in the next annual report. So I screenshotted that and then sent it on delay email to me and Chris for, you know, nine months later. So over the summer, I just got an email for myself that was like, break out $28, but it didn't say Taco Bell. <laughs> so Chris and I are just trying to back figure out what exactly we were DMing about. I did not know you could schedule emails. I can't believe I'm 47 years old. A visit from the mystery man from Lost Highway being like, I'm in your house right now with $28 worth of Taco Bell. That is, it is a good idea. I, I have to tell you, I turned against Taco Bell the last time I went. Because I, like, when I was growing up, Taco Bell was like, oh, that was authentic Mexican fare. Like, you're in Minnesota, like, oh, I'm going to get exotic. <laughs> I'm going to get a fucking Taco Bell. And then I had, like, a go-to meal. I would get three chicken soft tacos, and then I would get a lot of packets of Taco Bell sauce, sometimes the fire sauce if I was feeling spicy. And then I would just douse the fuck out of it. And then I would eat it all and it would dribble all over the place, all over the paper, and it would be gross, but I loved it. And then I went to Michigan for a semester, and every kid who was shit-faced in Michigan swore by the bean burrito at Taco Bell at like 2 a.m. It was like 99 cents. It gave you some diarrhea, but not too much. Like everybody was very, very happy about it. All the, all the little Wolverines, when they weren't being filmed by Connor Stallions, they really enjoyed getting the bean burrito, right? <laughs> and then, so I go... With my kids, I go to one in Maine, ding, and I and wow. I go and I get my chicken soft tacos, and it was like it was so half-assed. It was such a sad, shitty taco. Like, like the tortilla was old, and like you know how like it breaks, like before you've even folded it, you know, and shit. Mm -hmm. And I was like, damn, this is not either, either this is not as as high quality a Taco Bell as I remember, or. Or perhaps my own memory of Taco Bell is is perhaps embellished, just just the slightest amount. Here's where I, I admit that in my household, we eat Taco Bell probably once a month, maybe twice a month. Ooh. Nice. Uh, my wife uh, both loves the bean burrito that Drew mentioned. Yes. And also has a tendency to sometimes forget to eat meals. And so I will, you know, come home at 10 p.m. and be like, so what'd you have for dinner? And she'll be like, oh, I forgot oh, to eat yeah. dinner. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then it's like, all right, well, what can you DoorDash at 10 p.m.? Uh, I guess it's Taco Bell time. I, I do. My, my, so my wife forgets to eat a meal. And I'm like, how could, I, that does not, I can't comprehend that. Because like, I'm thinking about, like, I'm thinking about dinner right now. I just ate fucking lunch. Like, I'm, like, my, my day revolves around when I'm going to fucking eat. And so oh, then yeah. my wife will like, my wife, or my mom, my mom will eat like a handful of fucking Cheerios for breakfast. And that's her entire breakfast. And I'm like, mom, you gotta eat. You're gonna die. Like, you're gonna, you're gonna die of starvation. What are you doing? That's also parent behavior, though. Like, I think that it's, we don't, I come back to this all the time because I have, as my, Probably one of my weirder and less popular hobby horses on this podcast is that basically no good food was available in the United States before like 1995. <laughs> like yes. nothing that we would understand as good food. You know, my parents were like, they would like go to nice restaurants and stuff. There was like a, they had me late in life, they're, you know, two income families. So they would like go someplace and they would each get like low roast with like a sprig of parsley on it like they're they didn't have the option of having a delicious lunch you know but both of them for the longest time like would not eat lunch like as a matter of course i don't know if it was like my dad was too busy or my mom would just be like i just like to have a piece of grapefruit for lunch and i was like i know that that's a lie that's not what any person 
wants to have for lunch. Like just being like, I'm going to have half of a nectarine and then six hours later, I'm going to eat dinner. That's, that's wrong. That's false. That's not true. Yeah. You have to go see a professional of that shirt. And yet I think that was culturally acceptable. Yeah. But I, uh, yeah, I can't. Jasper, do your parents eat lunch? Do your parents eat lunch, Jasper Wang? Uh, my mother, I mean, I, I grew up in an immigrant household, so very much, uh, the food is the love. And so even today it is when we are back at my mom's house, um, me, my wife, my brother, and my sister-in-law at various points in the pandemic, we're all living at home with my mom. And so, you know, she would just like schedule like that. And she was like, I'm, I'm back in action. Like every meal, fruit plates <laughs> between meals, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, uh, you know, all taken care of. And it was, it was incredible. But I think my wife, who is, again, Kristen's much more like, I'll nibble when I want to. You know, she's like, it, it, it felt weird to her to be presented with three square meals a day. And sometimes she would just like sneak off the Dunkin' Donuts and just buy a donut. Just as her like act of rebellion of like, nope, I'm not just eating the delicious meal that you have made for me. My, my beloved like, mother-in-law. The, like Dungeness crab that you served me for lunch or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> my mom does this too. So I'm going to my mom's for Thanksgiving and like, there's going to be like 20 people at the house. Like she has to make two turkeys. Like it's a lot. Like we even asked her, she's 80 years old now. And I was like, I was like, you sure you want to do this? Do you have the energy for this? And she's like, no, no, it's fine. And what she does is she makes, she makes a, a huge meal for everybody. And then she herself eats like none of it. Like, like the whole joke is like, oh, I'll, if she's like, she'll be like, oh, give me a little slice of pumpkin pie. And I will slice it thinner than fucking Kate Moss. And then she <laughs> like could see through it. And she's like, oh, no, 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 that's too much. That's too much. And then at the end of the meal, she's always like, and no matter what she serves, like if it's like fucking lobster with hollandaise sauce on it, then she's always like, it's so good. And it's so light. It's such a, it was so, such a light dinner. <laughs> and, it's, and we're all like, because you had five bites of it. That's why you think it's fucking light. Like, and by the way, my mom, like she doesn't have like, anorexia or anything like that she just eats weird she just eats like a mom and she wants yeah. everyone else to eat the food but like god forbid like if she if she actually had a whole plate for herself and like one of my nephews couldn't get thirds she would not she would never forgive herself i respect it. thanksgiving is a good celebration of the i wouldn't say it's an american act although this is the one of the more american embodiments of it of the tradition of eating weird we're eating weird stuff that we don't eat any other day out of the year uh, we're eating either more of it than we should, or in your mom's case, apparently just like three little croutons worth of stuffing and being like, mm, I need to loosen my belt because I have been bad today, Like, <laughs> which is still <laughs> still very good to me. It's just, uh, yeah, I don't know. Eating weird is one of the one of the great privileges uh, that we get as adults. We can make whatever choices we want. Uh, speaking of eating, uh, Jasper, more people at Defector donated for the Roth, when I cut out of Roth raffle, then the have dinner with Ray Ratto raffle. So I want to ask you, does this mean that oh. Americans in general prefer a fake paper David Roth to the actual Ray Ratto? <laughs> answer that. And Ray's not here. You can answer, because I know he doesn't listen to the podcast. So uh, I, I would say, uh, first of all, both of these, raffles were incredible uh they generated a real revenue for the company and you know grateful for for roth and rattle for playing a, a, along with that i think one it's just you can only go back to the well with these things so many times and you know going back to the well a second time and getting thirty thousand dollars out of it is incredible uh, but i also think it speaks to 
one of the underlying philosophies of defectors uh business is the the stupid stuff has to be obviously stupid like the yeah. gags have to be gags where we're all in tacit agreement that this is not worth very much like you know we're gonna bring you the roth cutout for twenty dollars if you put twenty dollars in like we are all on the same page that that is stupid and we're just doing it for fun versus flying to san francisco is actually valuable but it is a thing yeah, that you have cool. to like yeah it's a cool thing but sort of like weirdly you have to you know like make plans to do that and so in some ways it's like if you're if you're just in it for the laughs it's actually like less appealing so what i'm saying is sometimes you have to go stupider in order to make it uh, more successful <laughs> you know, this, is, this is not a problem that we generally have that we made it too good but it is like I wanted to win that contest. Like it is a dream of mine to go to a winery with Ray Ratto and have him at some point be like, you prolapsed horse's anus. Do you want to get tacos? And me being like, I'd be like, yeah, very much. You know, like I would that be, is uh, where it's it's different with me showing up with a garbagey picture of myself. I would be curious if somebody wins it and then they do like the game show thing where they're like, can I have the cash prize instead? I don't have to. <laughs> I have to be somewhere. I mean, when uh, we wrote the terms and conditions for the Roth raffle, um, our our beloved uh, outside general counsel, Alan, you know, gave me the thing when I called him. He just like did a deep sigh and was like, okay, let me try to figure this out. <laughs> and he was like, okay, so what is the, what would you say is the cash value of this? And I was like, I mean, the, the cardboard costs $119, but it's pretty dirty now and broken down. So I don't know, under $100? He's like, okay, under $100, that's it. So I guess somebody could have <laughs> asked for that instead of the cardboard cutout. We could write out yeah. the depreciation, or we could write off the depreciation value of that cutout on our taxes, and that would make us back the $28 that yeah. motherfucking Redford spent gorging himself on Taco Bell. And on our dime. That's a good business mind. Good co-owner mind there. Thank you. Can I take the listeners inside the game just very briefly? I know we have to take a break. The bit that Jasper just described in his conversation with Alan, I feel like is the, it's something like, I had not heard that particular story before, but I think that's like the definitive bit of like Jasper's job. Not just having to go to outside professionals and be like, my the children I oversee want to do something stupid. Like how illegal is this? It's the deep sigh aspect. And then also having to like take our dumb ideas and then make them feasible. This is why I think we're all so very grateful for what Jasper and Sean do, because like every email I send Jasper, well, like one of them is about getting a freelancer paid. And the other nine out of 10 is me being like, well, I got my head stuck in a big peanut butter container again. Can you help me out? Like, which is embarrassing. <laughs> But it's also like you've taken to that job like a champ and we're all we would not have a website if you were not doing all of that. I would still be stuck instead of a large peanut butter jug. He might only uh, he might only, you know, present himself as having tolerating our bullshit. He, but, you know, it could be that when when Jasper gets off of slack, he's like, oh, these fucking pieces of shit. <laughs> I hope so. <laughs> Jesus. Like, um, most days, it is a, a joy to have uh, the variety of tasks put in front of me, let's just say. Um, I would also say, I I would bet that of, um, you know, we work with a lot of outside vendors. Um, you know, we, we keep very little of our business functions in-house. I bet we are the favorite client of most of our outside vendors. I think in part because it is 
weird. And so after Alan, you know, sighs, he actually is like excited to try something different <laughs> as opposed to, you know, pulling a contract off the shelf. Uh, and so, yeah, I, again, the deep sigh is, is a bit on his part as much as it is on our part. Well, this sounds like a challenge to me. It sounds to me like, like we need to think of something for Alan that will make him genuinely mad and will exasperate yep. him to the fullest and not want no, he won't take want a to good look us. in the mirror and get worse. Yeah, I think we can pull every out. day. We do have to take a break. We're going to come right back with Jasper Wang of Defector. Before we do, I just want to note that this week's episode is brought to you by Semaphore, a newsletter thingy. I'm just kidding. Fuck Semaphore. We'll be right back. Whoa. <laughs> Hey, it's Drew, and this show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This time of year can be a lot. And it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it, but adding something new and positive to your life can counteract some of those feelings. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress and change, something to look forward to, to make you feel grounded, and to give you the tools to manage everything going on. Therapy is also a great place to learn positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. It empowers you to be the best version of yourself, even if you're someone who hasn't experienced major trauma. Whether you're looking for help sorting out a problem in your life, or you just need a listening ear, therapy is definitely worth checking out. If you want to try therapy, but you're not sure where to start, BetterHelp is a great tool to keep in mind. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire and get matched with a licensed therapist, and switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. You can visit BetterHelp.com distraction today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash distraction. The Distraction is also sponsored by Robinsberger CreeArt. Did you know that Robinsberger produces more than just the classic jigsaw puzzles and board games that we know so well? Introducing CreeArt by Robinsberger, the ultimate paint-by-number experience. You'll find everything you need to start your artistic journey today with Robinsberger's carefully curated painting-by-number kits. Whether you're a seasoned artist seeking a new challenge or a beginner eager to explore the world of painting, Robinsberger's kits cater to all skill levels and ages. Embrace the therapeutic benefits of painting by number as you melt away the stresses of daily life and find solace in the act of creation without facing the pressure of the blank canvas. Easily explore Robinsberger's wide selection of enchanting designs on Amazon, ranging from majestic landscapes to adorable animals and everything in between. Let your imagination run wild and embrace the joy of painting with CreeArt by Robinsberger. Shop CreeArt on Amazon today. We're back with Jasper Wang, and we get to talk about football again. We're going to let you off the hook uh, for the Jets, and we have to talk about uh Michigan, specifically Connor Stallions. Now, the story will have advanced by the time uh, this pod goes up, but let's talk about what happened two weeks ago, Roth. Uh, two weeks ago, the Big Ten suspended Jim Harbaugh for the final three games of the regular season for the sign-stealing scheme perpetrated by one Connor Stallions. No indication, however, that the Big Ten actually finished their investigation into the scandal and unearthed concrete evidence that Harbaugh was complicit in the sign ceiling. But enough other Big Ten schools were mad that the commissioner of the conference brought the hammer down anyway. The ensuing comedy has been so delightful, Roth, and you have had to write about it. So let's dig into that right now. Do you have anything to say before I tell you some of the things that Harbaugh has said in the wake of his suspension? 
I mean, I'm the, the thing that in terms of me writing about it, this was also uh, it would be stealing valor. Like the post that we're describing, which I'm writing halfway through writing as we were doing this is about uh, Jim Harbaugh's obsession with the song The Wreck of the Edmund Fitzgerald and his team picking that song up as a rallying cry. So I wouldn't say I've written like in a good way about any of this, but I have really enjoyed following the story and I've been proud of our coverage. The fact that like a third of it is Tom Lay writing uh, in spy novel voice is really to me like, this is how you want to approach a story like this. But yeah, tell me more about uh, what's going on here. Didn't one of, didn't one of the, one of Harbaugh's players say, uh, I love the song and we are the lake. We're the lake that swallowed. We're the lake. That's yeah. what I get from, the, which is to me, this is what I'm writing about. Like, I think I'm always in awe of football player mindset when it reveals itself. Like the, generally the sort of chalk example of this are like social media posts from wide receivers where they're like, the betrayer has a long knife, but I am the saber. And you're like, <laughs> all right, well, I don't, what does that mean, dude? <laughs> like, and in this case, listening to a song about a boat sinking in a lake and then being like, yo, this got me feeling like a lake though. It's like watching free solo and being like, I'm in my El Capitan era. I'm a mountain. Like, I love that shit. That is how I want people thinking. But also, like, if if Alex Honnold had fallen off of El Capitan, because the right. song, like, the, <laughs> the ship doesn't that. survive the lake. And by the way, we're not talking about the most propulsive song. Ever. It's not fucking Inner Sandman we're talking about. Like, you're not going to come out it of a tunnel. It's a six and a half minute Canadian folk song with 70s production values. It's a, <laughs> it is. It's a dirge. For real, though, Jasper, Michigan has gone full Michigan in the wake of the suspension. And it starts with Harbaugh, who said that Michigan should be America's team because it has been through adversity and criticism in the naysayers. Is he right, so Jasper? <laughs> uh, I have to reveal that uh, I married into an Ohio State family. Ooh. Oh, no. <laughs> Intrigue. Uh, my my mother-in-law uh, has two degrees from Ohio State. Um, and I think might hate Harbaugh more than any, any, but like if maybe if she were in public, she would say like, whatever, you know, Donald Trump or, or, or somebody else. But I think in her heart of hearts, she hates Jim Harbaugh more than anything. And so <laughs> I am always sort of like experiences in this in an intermediate way where like my mother-in-law is, is, you know, texting the family group chain of just like how awful he is. And then I go and I listen to it. And sometimes I'm like, <laughs> Oh, okay. You know, I think sometimes it's the same more about you than about him. And then other times I'm like, oh no, this man is a psycho. So yeah. both things can I mean, be he's, true. Absolutely. That's what I was going to say. Like he's a maniac, but that doesn't mean he's wrong about Michigan being America's team in the sense that they're mostly mad that they got caught doing a thing they weren't supposed to do. And then they're instantly being like, have we faced adversity? Yes. Was that adversity? Um, is that our fault? Who's to say like that is America in a nutshell right there. The scandal also revealed that, uh, Michigan might be the only fan base on earth that is comprised of more lawyers than ours. Uh, because <laughs> <laughs> fucking, there are so many, there are so many professional law people on Twitter and on Reddit, like dissecting the legality of what Connor Stallions did and whether or not the Big Ten was right. And we were there, they were, they were out of order. You know, and I, I love all of that. And I just want to do, I, I'm a, I'm, I'm all over the place here, but I did want to give you one more Harbaugh quote because he was sick during this too. Like he had a cold or whatever. And when, when the, when the press asked him if he was too sick 
Anyway, to coach, he said, I'm the iron wall that viruses bash against and shatter. Jasper, I'm not sure we've ever written a sentence that poetic and award-winning uh, at Defector, and I'd, I'd like to copy it one day. I mean, Israel writing that uh, Jim Harbaugh is part uh, part psycho and part uh, poodle, I think is, is really spot on. Yep. That's going to just stay in my head for forever. Because, yes, the, the duality of man over there. Yep. And they won. They 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 won the first game of his suspension. Head coach, uh, um, the interim head coach was Sharon Moore, who was the uh, the offensive coordinator. After they beat Penn State in a truly unwatchable game, they did not. Michigan did not attempt a pass in the entire second half. After they won, uh, Sharon Moore burst into tears, and he cried out to the camera. He said, "Coach Harbaugh, I love the shit out of you, man." I did this for you. Like he had fucking died or like was dying yep. of lupus or some shit like that. Honestly, if you wanted to do something for Jim Harbaugh, 36 straight handoffs is like kind of, I think he'd appreciate that. Like that's a nice gift. If you send him an edible arrangement, he's just going to punch it, you know? But if you send him a uh, 36 straight runs off tackle, he's going to be like, wow, terrific. I do want to talk about this seriously for a second because I think Israel wrote pretty much the same thing that Jasper, this is like, it's fucking absurd, right? Like, they suspended him. Like, he's not allowed to be on the sidelines for the last three games of the season. But first of all, that team's loaded. Secondly, he can coach them during the week. They already beat one team. They can probably still beat Ohio State without him on the sideline. They're still eligible to go to the playoff. He can coach them during the playoff. So this doesn't mean fuck all, right? And it's not as if Michigan did much of anything that other schools haven't. I mean, I... I, I, I... I think I probably fall on Israel's side. I think I fall on what you're saying, Drew. I, I do think there is another side that's just like, <laughs> if you're the commissioner of Big Ten, it's like, all right, there are rules and like these guys are mad. So it's like, uh, okay. I mean, you know, like Defector is a cooperative owned company. Sometimes we get into disagreements. Sometimes you just like do the compromise position. And like, in some ways, as an outside observer to all of this, it's like the funniest possible compromise position and because everybody's still mad about it. And so, yes, as entertainment, you know, it's great. Yes, but we're sane. Like, you're talking about Big Ten people who are not only insane, but like not in that sort of charming SEC way where it's like, y'all, like, it's like, it's lawyer insane. Like, it's grad school insane. Well, Michigan fans are lawyer insane. And Ohio State fans, I think, are generally like, like people that own like car dealerships but don't use seatbelts because of like wokeism or whatever. Like that's a totally different level of being out of your mind. But which again, like you know, you could appreciate the terroir, like the different notes of American insanity in the mix. But yeah, my my mother in law has a law degree from Ohio State, and uh, <laughs> in the last three the years. In the last three years, I am aware of my mother-in-law getting into spats with two different people at weddings of her uh, friend's children, uh -oh. where the two people revealed that they were Michigan football fans. <laughs> so did she? Uh, and she just like instantly got in their ass. Was like, "Wow, how do you fucking sleep at night?" Seriously, I will. <laughs> I will say they both uh, were were shitty to her first. Ooh, and she did okay. not take that. Uh, take that, you know, sitting. May I ask um, how they were shitty? Uh, you can one, ga one gave the, oh, I guess you, uh, you couldn't get into Michigan. 
which is sir you, you are you are 60 something years old wow yeah, safety schooled another another person like 40 years away from graduation damn so, I mean, that is, that I feel like that is such a big 10 insanity is the things, again, I've, I've been my, with my wife for over 10 years now, but I'm still only just scratching at the surface at how all these oh, things yeah. go. This is a life pursuit, man. You're never going to get to the bottom of that it. That is remarkable. What a remarkable discovery we've made on this podcast. I, I am so, so happy we had you on, Jasper, to, to talk about this. And now this it's is like. Also, that is amazing just as Michigan adult behavior, too, because like you hear about it. That's like a gag, you know, it's like something you read in a Spencer Hall blog and you're like, well, I don't know that anybody's really like that, but that's a funny bit. But the idea of just someone who's like a year away from retirement, from work, like they're going to spend the rest of their life just hanging out. Being like, so uh, what were your SATs like? Probably not very good, right? <laughs> it's like <laughs> embarrassing. You can't do that. And you know what's going to happen? They are going to win the national championship this year. Like, that was, that's like, it's a lock now. It's like Ray Lewis it's winning perfect. a fucking Super Bowl. Like, it's just bound to happen. I can, I can sense it already. We should, uh, we should get to the voicemails, guys. It's time to open the fun bag. These are real questions from defective readers and from distraction listeners. And for Thanksgiving, we've got some precious, precious voice messages from our listeners uh, that our producer, Eric, will play for you right now. So let's get to the first one, gentlemen. Hey, Drew. Hey, Ross. Uh, this is Harrison from Nevada. I uh, was driving home today and saw a Tim Ryan for president bumper sticker. Just want to say again, from Nevada. And it really threw me off. So thinking, who is the most obscure person you could see on a bumper sticker like that? It's the most obscure thing to where it's really throwing off your day. Like, I remember seeing Dennis Kucinich 2008, and that felt normal compared to Tim Ryan. I uh, would love to hear your thoughts. Rolf, I think you get to go first on this one. You, you're good at remembering some candidates. I mean, but I don't know that I've seen, like, is there, did, like, John Delaney get to make a bumper sticker? Did he get to that stage of his presidential run? Or was it mostly, like, he was there, everybody was like, damn, that guy works out a lot. And then he instantly dropped out after that. Oh, don't you think there are rich that, motherfuckers who run for president specifically for the swag? So they're like, oh, look, I have a pin that I can give, like, to my that's friends. That's my presidential run, by the way. <laughs> I'm not trying to brag, but I pulled below Paul Songus. So, yeah, the <laughs> idea of of that is really impressive to me. I have not seen as many bumper stickers of that type, but as somebody who goes to Goodwill a lot, I have, um, there right now at the one by me, at least as we record this, there is a, a Beto for Texas t-shirt, like just hanging on a hanger. And it has the, you know, in the way that all campaign giveaways do, like it is like, beyond an extra large like it is like technically it's like something that you could like put over a smart car to keep it from like having too much like bird shit on it like it's enormous <laughs> it's not a wearable garment but i feel like on principle like in the same way that i've done when i see weird jerseys there or the time that i saw a, a iowa state fan t-shirt for fred hoiberg when he was their basketball coach that like i was just sort of like well i should get that because like how many of those can there really be um, I feel like that is maybe the justification for putting a Tim Ryan bumper sticker on your car that makes the most sense. Like if you see it, you're going to be like, that might be the only one of these that's out there now. 
And that, uh, if you have that like collector gland in your brain that fires at moments like that, I don't think you could really criticize someone for putting something like that on a car. It's a real commitment to do it, though. Like it is a commitment to a bit that is completely inscrutable to any normal person. I would admire Jasper. I would admire a bumper sticker of a niche candidate more than like I see a lot of like old like Carrie Edwards 2004 bumper stickers because that was like mm-hmm. you know it was like a it was a general election. So there were people who who supported John Kerry. They did not like enthusiastically support John Kerry, but they kind of like had to and all that stuff. Have you seen any That's also a very niche- beltway lifestyle thing there too to be like, well, you know, oh, you yeah, see yeah. Kerry Edwards stuff all the time. Like, no, I do. Yeah. <laughs> like Yeah. That is that is part of it. Jasper, do you see any weird ones where you are? I um I have not seen any weird ones, but it's also occurring to me as a fellow North Jerseyan that I don't know if I've ever seen a Chris Christie uh, oh. sticker in the wild um, in the last yeah. 10 years. And that is, again, he pulls well enough that he gets to go to the debates, but there's, I, I'm just like, who, who, who is going to put that Chris Christie for president bumper sticker on their car? If, if I can't find him in Bergen County or Morris County. Where are we going to go? Yeah, I'll tell you who. That. Tommy DeVito. Tommy DeVito. <laughs> Tommy DeVito's Tommy DeVito Sr. Because <laughs> he's like, he's about leadership. Yeah, Tommy DeVito Jr. I, I don't think it's like remembers that Chris Christie. It's also, Jasper's point is correct. It is also striking because North Jersey, from my experience growing up there, is like bumper sticker country. Like not crazy, you know, or even like coexist bumper stickers. But there's a lot of like signs and people love to put stuff on them. I remember seeing uh, Jim Florio, who was a governor of New Jersey, who wound up being extremely unpopular because he raised taxes, which you need to do if you want to fund services in your state sometimes. Uh, wound up, there was a lot of stickers that would just say flush Florio. And I feel like I still see those. Like that they're like around completely faded on some like, you know, highway interchange sign. But that was... Given the passion that North Jersey people have for defacing North Jersey, it is amazing that they've never done it on Chris Christie's behalf. I also see, uh, I see more than my fair share of, uh, of faded, like sun faded Hillary stickers. And you gotta think that's just so bittersweet for the owner to see that on like daily be like, oh God, right. Yeah. I thought I was, my hopes were so high. (laughs) <laughs> and then this is like yeah. the darkest version of the game that I play when I see someone wearing a jersey on the street and I'm like trying to be normal, but I'm also trying to see whose jersey it is because I'm like, is that a fucking Rod Bernstein Chargers jersey? Are you for real? And it like it never is, but I'm always like kind of craning my neck and like trying to like slow down and let someone go past me to see if that's really like a <laughs> Quinn Early jersey they've got on. You're hoping. Uh, it's only. Yeah, I am. It's only natural. It's only human. And to that end, I, I have to go, uh, I have to get a scraper and take this Kim, Tim Scott bumper sticker off of my own car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's get to the next voicemail, Eric. Could you please cue it up for us? Hello, this is a, a question for Professor Roth. Um, as I've been reading the coverage of the new Michael Lewis book and seeing pictures of Sam Bankman fried over and over again, it occurred to me that he looks exactly like a young Jesse Orozco. Um, <laughs> and as you can imagine, this is a thought I have not been able to get out of my head. 
uh, and it's really impacting how I think about Jesse Roscoe now. So I really need your guidance on what I can do to move through this in this, this difficult time. Thank you. I love you. What a wonderful question and observation that is. Uh, I need to like look at, and I, this is not something that I say lightly or look forward to doing, but I feel like I need to look at some more pictures of Sam Bankman freed now because I, (laughs) and I wrote about the book. Everybody wrote about the book and I, you know, in doing that, it's like, you have to read a lot of other stories with a picture of him at the top, just kind of looking like a lollipop that fell on the floor of a barber shop. Like it's just not a pleasant image to look at him. But Jesse Orozco is a guy I have fond feelings for as a as an immaculate grid player and as a Mets fan. He won you a title. Um, he was the final yeah, out, right? Yeah. Yep, threw the glove in the air, the whole thing. The thing I will say, uh, so maybe this will help. Jesse Orozco was a very different type of dude. Sam Bankman-Fried, uh, as much as he may facially or not facially look like Jesse Orozco, again, I haven't reviewed the footage yet. Something I remember from the book, The Bad Guys Won by Jeff Perlman, is that Jesse Orozco was a part of that Mets team. Uh, this, again, the formative Mets team for me. Uh, made me a baseball fan for life. Made of course. me a Mets fan for life, for better or worse. Uh, they were all dirtbags. Every single one of them was a maniac. Jesse Orozco was a part of a group. I know that Danny Heap was also in it that was called the scum bunch. They gave themselves that nickname and they would just sit at the back of the team plane and like literally flick boogers at each other. Like they were, they were gross kids. Now that's not ideal. You don't want to be there in your late twenties, early thirties in the still in the smearing bugs on your homies stage of development. Speak but for yourself, brother. Speak for you. Again, I don't know. Maybe it, I don't remember my late twenties very well. If I was any more mature than that, it would have been like a rounding error probably. But I think just bear in mind that that's who Jesse Orozco truly is. He didn't defraud anybody. He didn't like, you know, carry a fidget spinner around when he was being interviewed on TV or anything like that. He was the booger guy who got the last out of the 86 World Series. Hang tight onto that memory and don't let Sam Bankman-Fried tarnish it. Uh, For the record, I looked. They don't look alike. That's complete shit. (laughs) (laughs) They look nothing alike. Nothing at all. Do you have a a friend that does like weird comparisons of like people you knew growing up to famous people my friend steve will do this a lot where i'll just get like a text from him and he'll be like do you remember that guy from high school like do you remember the other dave because i think he looks like guru from gangstar and like that's wrong that's not true yeah (laughs) but it's like something that just pops into his head and then he runs it by me i'm on the on-ramp to that because i'm nearing 50 and like i remember i think i've said on the podcast but i remember i was watching the sopranos and my dad, he was watching it too. We weren't watching it together, but he was like, he, it was one of the episodes where Meadow was going out with a dude named Finn. And he was a guy who, yeah, he was the Finn. moron who like spelled ass and poo when they were playing Scrabble and stuff. And my dad was like, you know who he's supposed to be, right? John Kerry. And I was like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's the <laughs> stupidest fucking thing I ever heard. But I swear to God, like like those weird connections are starting to come around in my head where I'm like, well, you know, Prince William and uh, Tiger Woods, not that different, uh, you know, in terms of how they look, (laughs) which is the stupidest shit you could ever imagine. I don't say it unless I'm couching it here. This is late onset Simmons brain. It's, it's, it's not though. Like, I mean, Simmons is a dipshit, but like, I just think 
you're going to pick up, like, I am so close to being, you know, the dad who walks in during the sex scene in the movie that the kids are watching. What is this, a porno? Like, I'm I'm on the verge. <laughs> like, I don't want that. But the thoughts are, like, flicking through my brain, and I'm, like, battling them actively, like, with my this yeah, one. I know I'm gonna get there. My dad's big thing is getting movie—it's just movie titles wrong, which is not a, an uncommon thing for parents. Uh, but he's done some really remarkable work. I remember this was like a good old Twitter moment. Was me once he was trying to remember the name of uh, the movie. Um, I'm sure that you all will be able to remember it, where Bradley Cooper and Jennifer Lawrence, they have a dance uh, Silver relationship. Silver Linings Playbook. And we call it Silver Linings Playbook. It's kind of a strange, we call it Silver Linings Playbook. It's kind of an unusual title for that movie. It doesn't fit with anything in it. And so he was trying to come up with what that title was. And he came up with Winter Games Unlimited, which is a combination, if you break it down. <laughs> okay. All right. Of Winter's Bone, Hunger Games, and Limitless, uh, which are all movies that they admittedly have Jennifer Lawrence and or Bradley Cooper in them. And so he just kind of smushed them all together. But Winter Games Unlimited to me has always been like, that's where I know that I'm going. It's like there's a lot of information in here, but I can't organize it. So I'm just doing the like has this ever happened to you stage of an infomercial where I'm like stumbling out with my arms full of things I used to know and then I just spill them all over my lap? Jasper, if I ever opened up a ski shop, that's what I would name it. There's no doubt about that. <laughs> the, the fact of retirement is, is not coming soon for you, I hope. But yes, I think you should absolutely pursue that at some point. You're too young and sharp to have senescent brain like that, right, Jasper? Like you got a good... 10 plus years on us. So like everything's just firing exactly the way that you want it. Um, it, it by and large, it does. Uh, but Congrats. you know, in the same way that when we play trivia, you sort of like see into other people's brains. Uh, yeah. you know, I can, so I, I see where you're getting and, uh, you know, I don't, it, it's not something I, um, am worried about. I, I think that'll be a nice moment when I start doing that too. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah. I'm kind of hoping for it too. It'll it's like have. how Hal, the computer in 2001, when they're starting to take him apart, he gets kind of chill after a while. He's really mean, but then, you know, now he's just singing daisies, having a great time, you know, like that's where I'm, that's where I think I'm heading. Also, I've had to strangle myself cause, cause I have three kids and they're growing and like making, cause my dad would sometimes say, shit to us like about us where we'd be like fuck that and like i'm you know like i've had those moments where it's like oh, sweater's looking big on you or something like that like just like, <laughs> like like well your hair your hair's looking weird today or like just like like weird parent shit where you're like you 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 instantly make a child's day worse by opening your mouth and like <laughs> i am i am very much wrangling myself to to not do that it's a struggle though the struggle is real and yep. one day I'm going to lose it. I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to stay on the, on the upper hand of it for as long as I can. Can I give you one good quick thing from that? When I posted about Winter Games Unlimited, people were sending me things that their, uh, usually dads would get wrong. Uh, just things that they had sort of in their head conflated and would say, uh, the ones that I remember most fondly was a guy whose dad called Rob Gronkowski, Bobby Grzynski. And then <laughs> this is one that I, at this point has completely replaced. Uh, so Chad Johnson became Chad Ocho Cinco and this guy's dad called him Chocho Binko. <laughs> <laughs> so 
At this point, when I think of Chad Johnson or if I see a picture of him, I'm just like, that's Chocho Bingo. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> oh my God. That's my favorite Mike Lombardi draft pick. I loved Chocho Bingo. Fantastic. <laughs> oh, I, we almost have to end on that one. But I think, is there one more, Eric? I can't believe I'm actually making this phone call. Uh, hey, Drew, uh, it's, um, Adam from Los Angeles. This isn't a fun bag question, but I figured this was best done via voicemail. Um, listen, I, my buddies and I used to live just off of Melrose in, in, uh, East Hollywood. And, uh, they, that was the first stretch of LA where they opened up all these dispensaries. They always had a big green cross out the side of them, like they were a pharmacy, but obviously that was when it had to be medicinal. And so, um, my idiot friends and I decided that they were outposts of, of the International Green Cross which is an or, an organization that showed up after natural disasters to get everybody really baked. Um, I don't know if you want to use other people's material or whatever, but it's yours if you want it as a fake commercial. I don't, I want that to be real. I want to start that yeah. organization. That's, that's what I want to do. Jasper, do we have enough money in the defector budget to begin the international green cross to get people high in times of need? I mean, there are a lot of priorities in year four that have already been budgeted for, but, you know, dream big. You know, you own this business, you have a say. I like it. This is, like certainly it. is a good thing with our, our Taco Bell partnership. It works, I think, very naturally. That is that is right. Eric Silver is our producer. Brandon Grugel is our editor. Our theme song is by Kirk Hamilton. Ads and production services are by Multitude. And you can subscribe to Defector.com right now. Just go to Defector and hit that subscribe button. You can also email us at distraction at Defector.com or even call us, as some listeners did today, at 909-726-3720 and leave a message. That's 909-Panera0. Jasper Wang, you are a fabulous COO and an even better Jets fan, and you have been so kind to join us. Thank you for coming on. Thank it's you, Jasper. It's a thrill to be here. I, I think we were going to do this last year, but then I got double booked with Rohan, um, who then slept through it. So Patrick had to talk <laughs> NBA. So, you know, better better late than never. Yeah, that well, does kind of sound like us. But yes, yes, glad you made it. Happy Thanksgiving, everybody. Goodbye. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye.